How does the Bible answer the question, who am I? And the first overarching truth that we've been looking at is this idea that I am accepted by God. Um, I'm accepted because I'm chosen and adopted last week, and today I'm accepted because I'm redeemed, forgiven, and justified. The fear and anxiety of feeling or believing that you are unaccepted can cause tremendous heartache and pain in this life. Whether that's you know, with other people uh, in your life or maybe even uh, in your relationship with God, maybe you don't feel like God accepts you, but there's great freedom and peace in knowing that you are accepted by the only one who truly matters. And that's what the series is all about. It's constantly turning our attention towards God, our creator and sustainer of life. First, if you're following along, I'm redeemed and forgiven. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we are accepted because we are redeemed. That's that first word uh, uh, from the kingdom of darkness and we're brought into the kingdom of light. Let's talk about redemption for just a, a couple of minutes. There's a hint of this idea of redemption of the Israelites uh, in the Old Testament being rescued from the darkness of Egypt and, and then brought into the promised land. And Jesus spoke about it and he echoed it again in the New Testament when he was being arrested. He said this, Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. So Jesus understood this, this idea of dominion of darkness and here's what that means. The dominion is those without Christ and darkness means evil. So those without Christ living in evil. A paraphrase of verse 13 might go like this. Jesus rescued us from the evilness of those who do not know Jesus and who insist on living in darkness. And so our rescuing from darkness removed any and all power from, uh, from the evil one and, and brought us into a position where we have all power from God in our lives. So there's two things that we've been rescued from. We've been rescued from the weight of sin and the wage of sin. So the weight of sin or the responsibility of sin has been removed, we've been rescued from that. And the wage of sin, the, uh, if we had to pay for our sins, we've been removed from that. So the weight and the wage of sin. A hostage is a person seized or, or, or is held as a security for the film, fulfillment of a condition, right? So if we are a slave to sin, and we need a ransom to be paid to free us, and Jesus' death on the cross was our ransom. You got that so far? Slave to sin, we need to be purchased, redeemed. There needs to be a ransom that's paid to free us. And Jesus' death on the cross was the ransom. Who was the ransom paid to? Did God send Jesus to die on the cross to satisfy a ransom or condition that Satan proposed? In other words, did Satan say, hey, all of these people are slaves to me. All of these people are slaves to sin. I demand a ransom. And God, here's my ransom. I want you to send your son to die on the cross. If you do that, I'll free them all. You can have them. Or... Did Jesus die to satisfy God 
It's ransom. Friends, Jesus' death paid the price or the ransom, not to Satan, but to God. It's a little bit mind-blowing. In no way did God ever negotiate with Satan to buy back his creation. Jesus' death was the ransom paid to God because our sin violates God's perfect justice and his holiness. So it's kind of, if we could just kind of get our minds around this for a second, we're born with sin, we have the sin condition, separated from God, and God wants to have a relationship with us, right? And he wants to reconcile this relationship, and he says, oh, hold on, there has to be a ransom that's paid for that to take place. There has to be a ransom. And he set the ransom so high, the cost and the payment so high, that the only one who could pay it was his own son, Jesus. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to die on the cross to pay the ransom. God paid his own ransom. Satan didn't own us, sin owned us. Sin was our master. There was only one acceptable sacrifice. There was only one acceptable ransom, Jesus. It was God who set the payment so high. John Piper writes, he died to rescue us from God's wrath because we could never pay the massive debt we owe to the Father. One day his wrath will be poured out on all those who did not believe. That day is coming. For many, even though the ransom has been paid, for many, they still opt to live in darkness. If you're, if you're a believer here this morning, God considered you worth every ounce of Jesus' blood that was shed. Without Jesus, you are not accepted by God because of your sin. Without Jesus, you are not accepted by God because of our sin. The truth is, we have been made right with God. We are redeemed and we're forgiven. Let's look at that next idea of being forgiven. Colossians 1.14, the second part says this. In him, we have redemption. This ransom, this, this payment, this buying back, the forgiveness of sin. I am forgiven. Psalm 103 says this, the Lord is compassionate and, and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But forgiveness, listen to this, forgiveness is the only means to a relationship with God. It is the front door to a relationship with God. In fact, it's the only door. God's forgiveness will only impact your life to the degree in which you know that you need it. In the mind of a person who has not yet understood their need for forgiveness, Jesus suffered and died for nothing. In the mind of someone who doesn't understand it or ignores it, there's no value in something that you don't need. This might be the very thing that keeps people from 
taking God seriously. In our pride, we believe forgiveness is for people who need it. It's, it's not for me. Do you need to be forgiven? Do you need God to forgive you? Don't take the cross for granted. Don't allow yourself to lose sight of what God has done for you. If you go to the east, there's no point in which you're going west. If you travel to the west, there's no point in which you're going east. And that's what God says. He says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I will remove your sins from you. Don't ever take forgiveness lightly. Without forgiveness, there is no peace. There's no hope. There's no life. There's no freedom. There's no, guys ready, there's no eternity with God. He accomplished on his own what we cannot accomplish on our own. His willingness to send his one and only son to this earth to die on the cross is a clear demonstration of his great love for us. Guys, the cross screams, accept it. When we talk about forgiving others, maybe you have heard it said that without forgiveness, we are the one who's living in prison. So now we're gonna talk about relationship. We remain full of resentment and thoughts of revenge, right? You've also heard it said that forgiveness does not require the offender to know that you have forgiven them. Nor is forgiveness conditional upon their whatever however they respond, right? So God's forgiveness is free. It has no um, conditions attached to it. You can take it, you can, you can leave it, depending on your decision, it's gonna have incredible impact, significant impact in your life. So why don't people accept God's forgiveness? Some will say it's a sign of weakness. It'll suggest that there's a winner. It implies I've done something wrong. My response is this, yes, yes, and yes. The book of Romans teaches us that we all stand equally helpless and guilty. No one's sin is greater than another. We've all offended God equally. You know, if you took two apples um, and one was all shiny and it looked great and the other one was all bruised and then you just dug into the middle, to the core of both of those apples, what you might find is that both of them are rotten. But on the outside, they, they look completely different. You might assume one over the other. And you could take that with people too. You could take two people. You could take a person who's made, they got it all together. They look great. They're smiling. Man, their life is perfect. There's no issues. Man, this guy's great. And you take another person who's just the opposite and you stand them next to each other. And you say, well, one, one might be rotten at the core, but not the other. But the truth is, if you dig deep enough into both of their lives, they're equal because they're all, they both are sinners and they both have a sin condition. The good news is this, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen to that, right? So Jesus withholds forgiveness from no one who's willing to confess. He says, just say the word and I will set you free and I will purify you, placing you in a position just as though you've never sinned. Isaiah 118 says this, come now, let us argue this out, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. 
So simply what that's saying is there's nothing you've done in your past that's like God, that he would raise an eyebrow and go, oh, never seen that one before. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. He says, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. We know about that, right? Freshly fallen snow. If, even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you as white as wool. Psalm 130 says, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. If you are a believer here this morning um, and you're comfortable uh, saying this, would you just say this with me? I'm just gonna use three words, I am forgiven. So if you're a believer here this morning, would you say that with me? I am, let's do it again, I am am forgiven. If you're comfortable, turn to the person next to you if you know them and say that to them. We know that we are accepted by God because we have been chosen, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, and we've been forgiven. But you know what that means, don't you? Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And some of you are thinking right now, why does he have to get so personal, right? Why are you messing with my life? But first, it's important to know that you cannot give what you have not received, even if you wanted to. What if I chose to forgive? What if I chose to forgive others as, as God has forgiven me? Forgiveness, what, what is it really? And the answer is not as easy as you might think. We often hear it said, forgive and forget, move on. Forgive and just let it go. Most of us maybe were taught with that idea, uh, maybe uh, as children, or maybe we even taught our own children, like, hey, Johnny, go say I'm sorry to your brother or to your sister, and then it's done, right? It's just over, let's move on, let's just keep going. Like we're supposed to just forget it and drop it. And the motivation isn't all bad, of course, right? Move on, don't hold grudges. Forgive and forget. Sounds good. But what about when you can't forget? What if the hurt takes up residency so deep within us? What about when the pain uh, is, remains there? What about when all we can think about is justice? What about when all we can think about is, I just want them to feel even just a smidgen of what I have experienced. What then? One of the books I read on my sabbatical was um, Forgive What You Can't Forget, Learning to Forgive What You Can't Forget by Lisa Turker, what is it? Turkerette, Turkers, whatever. You guys know who I'm talking about? Of course, yeah, that made a lot of sense right there. What's the last name? Turkhurst. Lisa Turkhurst. I should probably know the name of an author of a book I'm reading. I knew it when I was reading it. Good book, Matthew six fifteen. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. I will call it a scorecard forgiveness. It suggests that each of us carry around this, this, think of this scorecard in a sense. The purpose and the intent of this invisible scorecard that we carry that has to do with forgiveness 
is to keep our relationships either tied or where we're up one. Most people want to live in relationships where the score is tied, right? Because that removes all the awkwardness and that removes all the tension from the relationship. No one owes anybody anything. So what happens in a relationship when one says or does something to offend or hurt the other? We offend people out of our own mess, out of our own hurt and pain. In fact, most often we offend others because we have some kind of fear. We're afraid of something. The offended, on the other hand, always has a decision to make. And you know this. If I, the offended, choose to forgive that person, I gain, a, I gain a point on my scorecard. And we're once again tied. That would put us back in this equal playing field, a place where the relationship is okay again. Because they hurt me, I forgave them. Scorecard forgiveness is really, it's just this jockeying of a position in relationships. Often we say, I forgive you. We say that all the time, right? Uh, somebody might come to us and say, hey, I did this, I hurt you, I forgive you. I don't, honestly, I don't even remember it. I, I, can't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I forgive you. Without really considering what it means, it usually is just our attempt to deny and to minimize the offense so we feel better. We say we forgive, and what we really do is detach ourselves from that person so that their offense no longer causes us pain. So we're in relationship and everything's great and they do something to offend us and, and then we say, well, I, I forgive you. But really what we do is that we didn't really settle the relationship. We're not back into the same place. We are. Sometimes what we do, or at least I know I've done this, is you take a little step away from them. Oh, but I forgive you. And then something else happens where you're, you're offended or hurt or something else again. Yep, I forgive you. And that's what relationships are like. And before you know it, you have this huge chasm between you. The forgiveness scorecard is our fleshly attempt at a God-sized action. Why can't we forgive without the cross? We need Christ to forgive because he helps us guard our hearts from becoming bitter each day that we strive to live in the forgiveness that we granted. So it's this idea of, of rather than saying, I forgive you, and it's really um, words, or it's out of the flesh, or it's like, oh, I just wanna make this relationship okay, but I'm still moving away from you. It's this idea, instead of, instead of using a scorecard, of looking and seeing the person through the cross, what Jesus did for you. I know it's not easy. Without Christ, we're incapable of taking that reoccurring thought. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. The reoccurring thought for the millionth time captive and not allow it to poison our heart. Some of you right now, as I've been speaking, uh, maybe you've heard some things, maybe you haven't heard some things, but right now you're, you're ruminating on a thought about another person because you have hurt or pain or you've been offended. And without Christ, we are incapable of taking that reoccurring thought for the millionth time captive. And it's poison in our hearts. Because he shed the only blood that is capable of true forgiveness because we are incapable of doing what he is asking us to do without seeing them on the other side or through the cross. You cannot do it in the flesh. You know you've tried. It's a daily journey that requires us to see people through the same grace 
that he gave us through the same love that was given to us. So why do we forgive? Our willingness to forgive is the key for us to experience all that is available in a relationship because we were forgiven. What do we experience? Guys, freedom, peace, freedom from anger and bitterness, and we we find joy. To demonstrate God's love and forgiveness, to live free of fear of it happening all over again, because you know we do that. You would love freely and allow yourself to be loved. You're able to pray for them. You're able to offer grace to them. To have a person stand right with you again. The largest prison in the world is the Los Angeles County Prison with nearly 20,000 prisoners. That's a lot of people. But I would argue with that statistic. I think the largest prison in the world is an unforgiving heart. Because there's way more than 20,000 of those. Put away the scorecard. Reach for the cross instead. Don't settle for being up one in the relationship. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Is there anybody you need to forgive? We're redeemed and forgiven. And the last one, second point, is justified. This is really short in compared to the first one. Romans 5, 1 through 5. So I'm chosen, I'm adopted, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven. And now Romans 5 teaches us that we can add to that same list that we're justified. I don't wanna uh, do a deep explanation of this passage. I think it's a, a different message for another day. I simply wanted us to be reminded of what it means to be justified and how it is that just one more truth that reinforces this idea that God accepts me. Justification is defined being declared righteous. It's a, it's a legal term, it's a positional change from a sinner, unrighteous, to be deemed declared righteous. As some of you have heard the analogy, just as if I never sinned. Um, verse one, we have peace with God. It says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, amen to knowing that we have peace, we're at peace with God. Secondly, we have access into his grace, verse two. Through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. The second part of verse two. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in suffering that leads to perseverance and character and hope. And that's what it says, verse three through five. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's the one thing I want to leave you with. Kind of back to that question of the idea, is there somebody that you need to forgive? Here's the one thing. Forgive others by first seeing your need for forgiveness. 
Father, thank you for um, this great morning and thank you for the truth of your word. And I don't know how we can't walk out of here just have an incredible hope and knowing that through Jesus Christ who paid the ransom that you view us as accepted, that you accept us. And maybe, maybe there's someone here who has never received the gift of salvation. And, and Lord, maybe you would draw them. And maybe they would um, turn to somebody or whoever they're with or come talk to me or another pastor or an elder and just say, I want to know more about what you're talking about. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.